So there's a world out there, is there not? And it's in disarray. You heard many, many things that disturbed you because they dishonored the God you love and choose to honor. Another uh, evidence of his forbearing spirit and patience. He's chosen to redeem and desires for all to be saved and for none to perish, though he would be justified in wiping us all out. It's not the way he is. He wants to grant a pardon. He wants to adopt. You know what it is? It's amazing grace. It's just amazing grace. So here is the Most High God, honorable in all respects, who has been dishonored by so many of the very people whom he has created, given life to. And I want to tell you something. If he has given you life anew, you will be dishonored at times as well. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight in Numbers. Honored by God and yet dishonored by people. And in order to develop the theme, I want to call your attention to Numbers chapter 12. And you'll see a grotesque episode of one of God's appointees being uh, viciously dishonored by those close to him. Numbers chapter 12. It says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Miriam, Moses' older sister. Aaron, Moses' older brother. Not just kin, but leaders in Israel. Uh, Miriam had the role of prophetess. Aaron, the high priest. Family, leaders, attack Moses dishonor the one whom God had chosen to honor. And uh, that must have hurt. The Bible is very real, very authentic. One of the marks of inspiration is that it does not paint a more rosy picture about human nature than it could. <laughs> it's a mirror revealing to us just what we're like. You see Moses' pained and broken heart, uh, coming from the criticism and complaint of those who he should have expected to have been for him. Family members. Do not raise your hand. How's your family? Do you come from a dysfunctional family? Have you gotten rejection messages? Please don't raise your hand. We won't be able to count them all. I just want you to know you're not the odd man. You're not the odd person out. Welcome to the real world. And the God of the Bible invites you to enter in. You qualify. Here's a dysfunctional family for your viewing. Older sister, older brother, as if this guy doesn't have enough on his mind. He's leading close to three million stiff-necked, renegade, obnoxious Jews. Lots of luck. On top of it, he gets this. So uh, here's what they say. You know, Moses, this woman you married, this, it's this Cushite, our disdain, our criticism, our attack, our complaint. This is what they say. They say it's because of the one whom he chose to be his life partner. That's the problem. It's a, Cush, it's a woman from Cush, which would be present day 
Anyone know what country? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. You married, an, you married a non-Israelite, Mo. You brought her and her skin color and her ways, diametrically opposed to ours, into our home. That's what they said was the problem. Was it really? Check it out in verse 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. That's the real issue, right? It had nothing to do with his wife, did it? You know what it had to do with? Jealousy. Envy. They had so much in common. They were all three privy to the covenant. They came on the same basis, just as I am, without one plea. (laughs) They were all part of the redeemed community. They all had inherent worth being created in the image of God, but they didn't have this in common. God chose and designated this one to be the leader. It didn't make him inherently better. That's not the issue. But it gave him a distinct position of authority and leadership. And they were envious of it. And it came hot on the heels of chapter 11. If you remember back there, Moses complained, Oh God, the burden of leading this people is too great for me. And God essentially said, Who asked you to bear it alone? A point seventy to help you carry the load. So that's what happened. I think his brother and sister are threatened by it. Because now you have a new church polity, if you will. A new organizational plan, a kind of a decentralized leadership where the tasks of leading this renegade mob through the desert would be shared not just by Moses, but Moses and 70 others, leaders, godly people in Israel. And this would redefine the role of his brother and sister. I think they got threatened by it. So they say, does God only speak through you? This kind, that's the issue. It had nothing to do with it. Do you know why I think they made his wife an issue? I think they thought that was the issue. Listen to me. You can be so intensely human, so deceived about your own motivations, you think it's purer than it is when you complain against duly appointed leadership. I'm telling you. You can actually think there's justification for dishonoring the one whom God has chosen to honor. You can so rationalize it that you can build a case upon the anointed instrument of God in leading a particular flock. I've got to tell you something. It's, I really got convicted about that whole possibility, dishonoring those whom God honors. In reading this chapter, it's intensely serious, as you shall see. So anyway, that's what they, uh, that's what they, comp- they complain about. So... Uh, So where's Moses in all of this? What's his response? What's his reaction? Check it out, verse 3. Now the man, Moses, was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Whoa, that's quite the claim. It's really quite the claim when it is thought, for sure, throughout the centuries, by every orthodox conservative conservative biblical scholar 
that Moses wrote this. We believe that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So critics of the Bible say, aha, Moses could not have authored it because how could a humble guy brag about it? You see what's going on? How could Moses? But I want to tell you, those are people who don't know what they're talking about. For a few reasons. Here's one. This statement by Moses actually proves divine inspiration of the text. Because he was an intensely humble, meek, self-denying man. And men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote what they were inspired to write. He is moved by the Holy Spirit to write something which is contrary to his human spirit. Proving the inspiration of the scriptures, not detracting from it. In my humble, yet accurate opinion. (laughs) Not only that, uh, critics don't understand what the word humble means. They don't get it. Here's what it means. It means putting oneself under the authority of God. Tell me Moses didn't do that. Listen to me. It was lonely at the top for this guy, as it is for all who are at the top. The people, we have a Yiddish word called kvetching, kvetching, means complaining. They break camp, and no sooner do they break camp than they're kvetching. They're complaining about the food. They're complaining about everything. He's the leader. He has to deal with it. He has to hear it. We want to go back to Egypt. We don't like the food. He has the burden of leading close to three million men, women, and children forward to the land, to the place of promise. Can you imagine what a burden it is? Would you be tempted, would I be tempted to say, enough is enough, I quit. But if he did that, he would not be the most humble man who ever lived. Humility means to stay under the authority of God. And Moses would have been tempted to do something else. That's it for me. I'm tired of being the leader of these people. I'm going to sell insurance. But because of his humility, he said, Oh, no, God, not my will. Thy will be done. You have honored me with this position. You have called me. It could have been anyone, but you chose me. I don't know why you did. I'm not competent. I'm not able. But I'm the man. And I will stay under your authority until the time when you say, Now it's time to stop. That's humility. That is the most humble man Indeed, whoever lived. It was God's will for Moses to lead an obstinate and complaining people. And Moses said, oh God, I will. And caring for these people emptied Moses of pride, emptied emptied Moses of self-confidence, emptied Moses of self-reliance, 
and produced a quality of humility in him, the likes of which most in the world have never experienced nor seen. Folks, in this sense, the process of being emptied by staying under the will of God in shepherding this flock, in this sense, yes, indeed, Moses was indeed very humble. In fact, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. You know what this kind of humility means? It means intense vulnerability. Ask anyone at the top. Vulnerable to what? Well, here's the deal. You are doing what God wants you to do. You are staying where God wants you to stay, through thick, through thin, in good times and in bad. You stay under the authority of God. You know what he wants you to do, and that's all you need. You do it. And yet doing it opens you up to all kinds of criticism by those around you. Humility means vulnerability. That's just the way it is. But you do what God wants you to do anyway. You stay where God wants you to stay anyway. Why? Because you would rather be honored by God and dishonored by people than the other way around. Is that true of you? Is it true of me? It's a haunting question. (sighs) Would you take shortcuts seeking to be honored by people and dishonored by God or the other way around? I recommend this one for you, for me. I'm working on it. You work on it. Better to have the approval of the Most High God and to be criticized and complained about than to receive the honor of those around you and let God down. Don't do it. Moses did the right thing. And it's repeated in many cases in our modern day. I have the privilege of officing close to uh, Buddy Griffin over there. And... uh, It is a privilege. It's just flat out a privilege. And uh, look, he hates when you brag about him, but too bad. He's just, he's a sold out servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how he does what he does, but he just does. That's all. He he just does. But he also knows how to recreate. And um, he is considered to be quite an excellent bass fisherman. And if you don't believe me, just ask him. (laughs) He'll tell you. Anyway, he was ministering to a bunch of outdoorsmen, fishermen, uh, not too long ago, and then they had a chance to actually fish. And uh, it's a competition. You know, whenever fishermen get together, they, they compete. And Buddy won the competition. It wasn't number of fish caught. I think it was the the weight of the totality of the fish caught. And yours total was how many ounces, buddy? Uh, never mind. It was several pounds. Several pounds. It was this big. I know. But anyway, he actually won. And so they presented him uh, with the first place prize. He didn't know what it was. But, but, but they presented it to him. And those of you who fish will understand this. It was a Kistler custom-made fishing rod. 
meaning nothing to me. But if you fish, you know what a Kistler custom-made fishing rod is. And Buddy describes it with great affection. It's really, a, it's really quite uh, disgusting to, to hear a grown man <laughs> express such love for a fishing rod. I mean, you could, you could hold it and you could feel it. Every, it can sense it's your every... It's just so... Anyway, that's what... So pray for me. And so, anyway... So then Buddy read uh, the attached tag on the pole and shared with me what he read, and it's striking. And I want to read it to you. And you can find this if you look up Kistler online. So uh, we're not fabricating this. It says, what Kistler, the company, believes. Let me read this to you. My vision, company owner, I think his name is Trey Kistler, writes, my vision for our business has been threefold. Take care of our employees and our families, create a difference in rod designs that improve fishing success and touch others' lives with words of encouragement. My hope is that you will support our vision for many years to come while joining us in experiencing the good news. That news I speak of is the hope we have found in Jesus Christ. extraordinary. What do I mean, you might ask? In the world we live in today, there is not much to be found that can fill up the hole in our hearts, but there is a true peace and joy to be found by trusting God for our future. You and I are similar to the fish we try to catch. We either catch and release or keep fish. God is also fishing for us, but so is Satan. Whose bait will you be attracted to? Which lure is real or just realistic? God's word is truth and Satan's is a lie. Who are you going to let catch you into their net? Both will change your life. But I can testify that Jesus Christ promises you hope for a better future after he changes your heart and releases you back into the water of life. Our prayer is that you swallow God's bait before Satan sets the hook on your life. It's a fisherman's kind of vocabulary for sure, which makes me laugh. But, but Kistler risked customer base to do that. Now, you know and I know God's going to take care of him. From a human point of view, he risked his customer base. You know why? I think. I think Trey Kistler, in effect, said, yeah, I know, but I would rather be honored by God and dishonored by my potential customer base. That's a modern-day Moses right there. Oh, it happens all the time. There's a guy over there. His name is Robert Osborne. Robert, I didn't tell you this because I didn't want you to either leave or hit me. So I was talking to Robert earlier uh, today. and Robert is the uh, proprietor. That's what it says right there on the business card, bro. Proprietor of um, Osborne Cycles. They sell uh, Hondas, don't you? Uh. <laughs> All right, it's another H. Harleys. They sell Harleys. Honda's Harley. What's the difference? 
<laughs> Living on the edge. So get the fishermen, you get the bikers. Who, ne- who next? Come on. Anyway, uh, it's a Harley place. And here's what it says on the car. It says, uh, just, it says, Osborne Cycles, just a little bit different than the rest. And there's a Christian ichthus on the front, and there's one on the back. And people come into Robert's Harley place, and they notice that it's different. The atmosphere, the countenance, the evidence of the Holy Spirit transformed lives. And they ask questions, and that guy answers. And that guy risks his customer base. That's a biker community, you know what I mean. Not exactly choir boys as a general rule. And I'll tell you why he does it at the risk of embarrassing you, my brother. I'm sorry. Because I know he would rather honor God and risk being dishonored by others. What about you? What about me? Make a decision. Think about it. So we've spoken about... Miriam's terrible response and Aaron's terrible response and Moses. Well, what about God? I mean, God was there. And, verse 4, suddenly the Lord, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down. By the way, that's always has to be, that always has to be the direction of God's travel when he wants to connect with us. He always has to come down. And we have to look up. <laughs> he always has to come down. So, so, so it says, the Lord, the, the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. Whoops. There's three of them, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. But he called two. He called Aaron and Miriam. It's as if he said, now you two step forward. Whoa. How you feeling now? You got the cloud. You got the, you got the voice of God. You got this summoning. You will show up at this particular place, Moses. You stand your ground. You two come for. Oh, whoa! This is like pretty serious. This is serious business. And so, when they had both come forward, verse five, he said, "Hear now, my words." See earlier on. They were their words, which he heard. Now they will hear his words. Hear now my words. Uh, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Even openly, not in dark sayings, And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Moses didn't have to speak on his own behalf because God did. Honored by God, dishonored by people, don't defend yourself. Let your father take care of business. The one criticized wrongly uh, did not need to say much on his own def- in his own defense because the king of kings, 
uh, was his advocate. And God not only cleared him, he praised him. He is faithful in all my household. My friends, better to be honored by God and dishonored by people than to be honored by people and dishonored by God. Start making choices because I think the intensity of uh, attack on Christians, uh, I don't even think we're seeing the beginning of it just yet. Make a decision. How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to cave? Are you going to compromise? Don't do it. So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. Whoa. And he departed. Those are three words you don't ever want to hear. And he departed. Whoa. Miriam and Aaron turned against Moses, and now the one whom appointed Moses turns away from them. And he departed. Ooh, that's not good. No, 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 no. Better to be honored by God, even if it means you will be dishonored by people. Verse 10, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. Perhaps not leprosy as we think of it today, a noticeable skin malady, a result of judgment. Leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. This is a severe penalty. See how serious it is for dishonoring the one whom God has honored. You see? But why, maybe you're asking, why did the penalty only befall Miriam? <laughs> why, not, why not Miriam and Aaron? I'll tell you why. First, it appears that Miriam was the ringleader. Miriam. It appears that she instigated the attack on Moses. Do you see the word spoke in verse 1? See where it says, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses? In the Hebrew, the word spoke has a feminine ending. Highly unusual. It attributes this whole activity, therefore, to Miriam and not to Aaron. It indicates her as the principal instigator of the rebellion, and therefore, she is judged this way. Second, Aaron, as I mentioned, is in the role of the high priest. You want to know something about the grace of God? Here's the ministry of the high priest. He represents the people before Almighty God. Only a gracious God let him continue for the sake of the people. You see, because the high priest could not have a skin condition and continued to do his ministry, he would be ceremonially defiled and disqualified. He'd have to be put outside the camp. And then they would have no one to stand in the gap representing them. Thank God for our high priest, don't you think? He's the sinless one. He'll never be put outside the camp. He'll never be disqualified from his intercessory ministry. Neither was Aaron. Because God is a gracious God. So I think those are the reasons why only she... And you know what Aaron's punishment was? To see what happened to his sister. And uh, to show you how it it, it affected him, look what happens, verse 11. Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you. (gasps) I beg you, my Lord. He says to Moses, This is the guy who he attacked and complained about and dishonored and criticized. Whoa, you talk about a little humble pie. Now he's praying to him. 
uh, in a human sense, begging him for help. Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like a like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Aaron's condition was so disturbing. Uh, Miriam's condition was so disturbing to Aaron that he likened it to um, her flesh being eaten away and, and, and she looked like a, uh, a partly formed fetus. That's, that's the analogy he uses. And in verse 13, after hearing this, it says, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, oh God, heal her, I pray. Would you do that? Would I? I don't know. I don't know how I, I would respond, respond to those who dishonored me. I don't know. Maybe I would say it's my chance to get back at them. Maybe I would say, I'm not going to pray for your healing and your relief. Are you kidding? Burn. Maybe I would say, this is the best I could expect from my family. Maybe I would expect, this is the best I could expect from co-leaders, co-laborers in Israel. Maybe I would say, no way, suffer. Don't do that. Don't, don't. Could I tell you something? I do not think God permits us the luxury of hatred. It's a luxury we used to possess. Hatred gives you a sense of power, you know what I mean? You say, that person robbed me of dignity and honor and all the rest. The one thing I, that person can't take away from me is my anger. Don't do that. You don't have permission. You don't have the luxury to hate. We don't. So Moses cries out to the God for her. You know what it reminds me of? New Testament, Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge. Beloved. What's the option? Leave room for the wrath of God. You got two options. You be your own justice maker, or you let God be the justice maker. You take your own revenge, or you leave room for the wrath of God. You decide. Who's a better justice maker? One or the other. God says, if you want to take your own revenge, okay, you've left no room for me to defend you. But if you say, oh, Father... If you have honored me with this role, with this position, with this task, with this salvation, <clears throat> I'm going to trust you to take care of me. Even in the midst of an onslaught by those who seek to dishonor me. Never take your own revenge. I love the word beloved because God's not trying to cramp our style. He loves us. Don't do this, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. I think Moses did. You know, some... We could let the offender, as Moses was, off his hook, but that doesn't mean we can get him off God's hook. Prove it to you. Verse 14. Though Moses prayed for her healing, look what happens in verse 14. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward, she may be received again. What's happening there? In the Middle East, spit anywhere. Spitting in someone's face is, is not a good deal. 
It's a sign of contempt. Something went wrong. So even if on a lower scale, a daughter offended her father so, so that he spits in her face, she has become ceremonially defiled. And even in that case, according to Torah, Leviticus, law of Moses, given by God, she has to be separated from the camp for seven days. God is essentially saying, how much more? This violation, not against you, Moses, against me. Because I appointed you. So no, she has to be put out of the camp and deal with her leprosy. And so it says, verse 15, So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move. The people, all of them, three million, did not move on until Miriam was received again. And the people did not move on until. What does that imply? Listen to me. We give Satan too much credit for impeding, as a church, our forward movement. I got to tell you something. Satan doesn't need to mess with us. We do enough damage to one another. Can you see how one sinful, unacceptable, dishonoring attitude by one member of the faith community to the leader can inhibit the forward movement of the entire faith community. Can you see how serious it is? God puts her out for seven days and there in neutral for that period of time. I don't think we have time to be in neutral. We got to get it in another gear. Therefore, I beseech you, and I'm smacking myself around uh, uh, in the same way. Let's not dishonor one another. Whom God has honored. Are you his son? Are you his daughter? He has honored you as his son and as his daughter. Be careful what we say, how we treat one another. Because our words about another, (gasps) haunting, and God heard. What is he hearing about our conversation about one another? I'm not bringing this up because I think we got big problems here. We don't. We have an intensely loving faith community. But this is a good preemptive strike. (laughs) Be careful. That doesn't mean you have to agree about everything. That doesn't mean we can't speak into each other's lives. But rebellion, disrespect, disdain, no room for it. No room for it. And God hears. And God, he takes seriously an offense against anyone whom he has honored with a position of authority, with a position of leadership. Be careful, be careful, be careful. And uh, don't be surprised when you're dishonored (laughs) by those who don't know God. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It doesn't know whose we are. It doesn't know the price God paid to redeem, cleanse, and adopt us. When the world dishonors God's kids, it's to be expected because the world has dishonored 
God's only begotten son. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't return evil with evil. Don't become hateful. Don't become vindictive. You, you, you spare yourself the luxury of hate. Say, Father, you be the justice maker, not me. Folks, I hope you have seen how seriously God takes uh, it when his uh, kids are dishonored. Can you imagine how much more seriously God takes it when people dishonor his only begotten son? Do you realize how serious it is to dishonor the son of God? Jesus is honored by God and yet dishonored, dishonored by so many. Are you one? Are you one? Do you know you dishonor the son when you think less of him than his father expressed about him? If you say, Jesus, yes, he was but a good teacher, you have just dishonored the son. Because the father said, he's my only begotten son. If you say Jesus is good for you, as uh, Mohammed is good for another, or as this one or that one, you know, he's an one amongst many roads to heaven, you have just dishonored the son who said, I am the way. No one can come to the father but by me. If you think less, if you say less, if you believe less of the Son than the Father has declared, you have dishonored the Son. I ask you a question. How do you feel about someone who dishonors one of your children or grandchildren? How much more will God be innervated, activated, and respond to those who dishonor his son. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I beseech you, be pleased with God in the form of man who suffered and died for you and rose up from death because he's God in the form of man so that you could live on forever. Be pleased with Jesus as your final sin solver. Look no further. Not religion, not this, not that. Be pleased with the one the Father says you ought to be pleased with. He's the one who offered ultimate, free and full satisfaction for the debt you owe the Father and could never come up with. Look no further. I beseech you, honor the Son tonight. I close with this. Haunting verse of scripture. John chapter 5 verse 23. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now I believe in God. I just don't want that Jesus. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father 
course I believe in God. But not that Jesus. He who does not honor the Son, his name is Jesus, does not honor the Father who sent him. Don't be one of them. The penalty is much more severe than seven days of leprosy. It's eternity outside the camp. That's called hell. Don't do it to yourself. When the father sent his son to spare you that fate. Be pleased with Jesus as your savior. Lord Jesus, living savior. Would you impress yourself upon the ones tonight who frankly up until now have dishonored you? What would be most honoring would be for that one or two or more no longer to diminish what you've done. You died. What would be best would be for that person to say, you, Lord Jesus, are perfect. I am a sinner. (sighs) You suffered and died for me so that I could live with you forever. Inhabit me now and forevermore. Take all these sins of mine. Cast it behind your back. Don't look upon them. Please. Make me to be different. Make me to be a person who would rather honor you. Dishonor people than the other way around. Save me, Lord Jesus. If you are that pleasing to the Father, Father God. How much more should you be pleasing to me? I'm pleased with you, Lord Jesus, as the full and total ransom price. Redeem me. Save me from myself, from my ways, from my sinful lifestyle. Save me from being put outside the camp eternally. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Bring me now and forevermore into the arms of your Father. You can do it. Because you're the only begotten son with whom he is well pleased. Let me be an adopted son or daughter. This I ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.